Good morning. Do we believe those words that we just sang? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's from Psalm 119, verse 105. That song is literally the text we will be looking at this morning. This is the final installment in the five-part Word of God series. And I, I thought it fitting to finish it on this psalm. Psalm 119 is 176 verses. I believe 174 of which reference the Word of God in one synonym or another. It's the Word of God, the precepts of God, the law of God, the promises of God, but it's the Word, it's all, it's a praise, a very high praise for the Word of God. And that verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, it it poses the question, or it forces the question, if you were to stay on the path you are on now, the, the, and that's not just, it's not just the Sunday morning. Christianity is a every day, day in, day out, morning, noon, night, all. It's a private and public thing. It is who, it's, it's who you are or you're not it. And I wonder if you were to remain on your path indefinitely until, until the lights fade to black, where would you be? Where will you end? And that's an important question. I marvel at, you just look out, and it's not, you don't even have to look out. Sometimes you can look in, and you can look in in a church and there, there's such a huge number of people who the, the, the literal most important question in all the world, where am I going and where will I spend my eternity, it's an afterthought at best. And there are many who don't even think of it. It's just, I just can't, I can't wrap my mind around the sort of haphazard meandering that so many have where they wake up, they go to work, they do the grind, they live for the weekend, maybe go to church, and then it's the same thing repeated. It's on repeat for their whole life long, never stopping to ask the question, where am I going? If life ended today, where would I go? If I keep on this path for 10 more years, where will I be? It's the most important question in all the world. This is 14 words. So there's not a lot of content there by way of that. But there is so much packed into this one verse. I, Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This morning... I simply want to expose four truths from this verse. I think there's a lot more than that. But I'm going to bring out uh, four of them. And 
um, the first one, I, just look at the text, and I want, it's by implication. And it's important to know that the Bible says as much by implication, oftentimes I think even more by implication than what it expressly says. There, there's the express grammar here. There's a subject and a verb and a direct object, and there are multiple clauses you can get into. There's the express stated propositional claims, and there is always so much said by implication, where if we have eyes to see, we're going to read into it, and we will infer some things. This is one of those truths. So notice what it does say expressly. He says that the word of God, this is the word of the living God, the words that proceed from his mouth, he says those words are a lamp and those words are a light. Now, what would happen then in the life of the psalmist and then by implication, the life of anybody else, if this word was to be snuffed out? What if there was no word in your life? And what if there was no word in broader society? What if you were to say, this is going to be a place where the word of God isn't? And I think it's interesting that we live in a society where we've taken God from our schools. We've taken him out of all of public life. And the one place where he remains is on our money. In God we trust, we say, as we spend, and we force him out of every place. What happens if the word of God, the propositional truths of God, the statements of God are the light, then what happens if you put this underneath a basket? Or if you hide it away, or if you buried it under the ground? The implication is darkness. The implication is that without the words of the living God, there is darkness. And that, that's not a truth that's limited to the individual. It's, it's a truth that is true everywhere. It's, it's a truth that's true across society. If the word of God isn't in a place, there will be darkness in that place. And so the first truth that I'm wanting us to see from this text is that without the words of the living God, the world is dark. Without the words. Now, there's a there's a sentiment that we often express. It's a saying that I understand I I think I get the point, but I don't agree with it. And it is, I would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Have you heard it before? Maybe you've said it before. And the glaring problem in the statement is, nobody's ever going to see a sermon lived out in someone's life unless the person living out the sermon first heard the sermon. Right? We don't bring, people don't come to knowledge and be in an enlightened frame of mind without words being said. And, I'm, and this is why I've, I've begun my ministry here and I've begun, because this is where I'm standing. This is where we're going. There are the words declared by God. God, 
think of all the ways that God could inform the world. Just imagine it. I mean, it's, it's almost endless possibilities how it is that God could inform. God could make it that a baby's born, and upon their birth, they immediately know everything right, everything wrong, and the entirety of the will of God. He could do that, couldn't he? God could make it such that every person just knows it inherently from day one. They, but God didn't. And if we go through the scriptures, the thing that God did to enlighten the world when there was darkness is he sent a preacher, and the preacher didn't just go there and be friendly and smile. He went to where he went, and he declared the words of God. When Nineveh was in a profoundly dark hour, Nineveh, the capital of ancient Assyria, and if you read in the history books some of the things that the military leaders would do on their conquests, to whole societies and things they would do to their own people. It's darkness of a kind that we, even in this dark hour in our nation, can't even fathom. And what did God do to shed light there? He sent a preacher, namely Jonah, who went and said, yet 40 days, if you don't repent, Nineveh will be destroyed. During the dark hours in the pre-Diluvian world, during the time of Noah, when it says that the people thought nothing but evil constantly. Can you imagine the darkness? Was that a place and an environment where the words of God existed? The words of God had gone out. God's words weren't there. And there was one righteous man who you don't see much of what he was doing by way of this in Genesis, but when you go into the New Testament, we see he was a preacher of righteousness. And for 120 years, he proclaimed the mysteries of God. And he declared the message of righteousness. The world needs the word. And what that's going to demand is that... So I, I pay very close attention to not just what's happening in um, churches of Christ, but just what's happening across the evangelical world, just religious world broadly. And the thing that astounds me is we have the light of the world, which is the breath of mankind, which is food for his body, and we apologize for it. We, we broadly apologize for it. We think, oh my goodness, this is not... We better not, there are certain things we better not say. Light, what light does is it exposes darkness. That's what light does. There's darkness in the world, and light, through the propositional declarations of God, it exposes those things. It says to, to a society that is embracing homosexuality, the Bible says that is a dead end. It says don't go down that course. That's not the design of the living God. It's not just a dead end, but it's not a good life now. The words of God say it. And as I, I was listening to um, Francis Chan recently, and he was talking about how he had, um, he read the whole Bible in, uh, I think it was 14 days. So he said he could have done it in a week, but he chose to do it in a period of 14 days. And the thing that struck him was by the, by the end of his reading, Francis Chan's been preaching in churches all over the world for a long time. 
He said the thing that struck him is that the voice of the prophets was always matter-of-fact, unapologetic, just declaring what God said. He said, I, he said, when I look at my ministry, I have to be honest in that a lot of times I want to I cater, I want to tiptoe around, I want to, you know, the death of a thousand exceptions. I'm not saying this, and I, I certainly don't mean that, and for this group over here, I don't want to, but he said, but look, God's, God's men and the words of God is not that way. It's a light that just comes down. It declares things that they are, and it says them as they are, and that is what the world needs. There are words that are going into the ears of every man, woman, and child. They're getting them through their iPads. They're getting them through their video games. They're getting them through the media, through movies, through the music that they listen to. They're getting them from teachers. They're getting them from their friends and their peers. They're getting them from their parents. There are words that are going out everywhere, and the vast majority of the words, if they're not words expressly of the enemy, they're words that lack God Almighty. We gotta, the words have to go out into the world if we want to brighten up this world. And that is the first truth which comes by implication. Now, I'm going to bring back uh, the word here because I don't want to keep that canceled out for too long. The first truth is that without the word, the world is dark. And the second truth, and this one speaks very much to uh, it, it just hits home. Again, this is by implication, but I want for you to see this yourself here in the text. Notice that the psalmist speaks of, he uses a first-person uh, pronoun. It's a possessive pronoun. He talks about his own feet, and he says, these are my feet. And he talks about his own path, and he says, it's, it's my path. And so he's talking of himself and the life that he's living and this is, this is a righteous man. Read the words that he said. It's a righteous man. This man is obviously an enlightened man. Now, where did he get that light? Well, where does he say that it came from? He says that it came from the words of God. This lamp that he speaks of and this light that he speaks of, he says, is God's word. The lamp is the word of God. The light is the word of God. And what I'm getting at is that true enlightenment, if we want to be enlightened people, if we want to have an enlightened understanding and a grasp on reality and what is truth, it is not going to be something that is found internally. The reason why that's so important is whether we're looking at the East, which in the first hour I pointed this way for East, this is this is West. I, see, I was speaking from my frame of reference here. Um, I always get turned around in buildings, but whether we're talking about the East or the West, there are different ideas of where reason, or excuse me, where light comes from. How do you arrive at it? And I'll say, I want to say a word briefly about the East and then a word about the West and then compare it with what the psalmist is saying here. I'm saying the light is not internal. I don't just wait. I don't... The, the, the Proverbs say, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I came into the world a fool, and if I were to remain that way, if, I, if it wasn't to be driven out of me by the rod of discipline and the express teachings of my parents, it would still be there. That would be the course that I would go on. Light is not found within the person, not now. It's external. 
And the reason why this is so important is all the world is saying just the opposite. I mentioned a few weeks ago, three Sundays ago, maybe it was either my first or second Sunday here. I was talking about this, uh, this guru from, uh, who practices the Hindu religion, and he's quite famous. He goes around the world and has huge conferences, huge audiences, and he's speaking about the, this path to enlightenment and knowledge and understanding and how to be really a happy, content, filled person. And the reason why he's filling up major audiences is because he articulates well and he is an intelligent man and people are looking for the light. People have bought lies and have wound up in dark caves. People are wandering around in the darkness. It's like in the days of Jesus when it says that Naphtali and Zebulon and those regions, they were dwelling in great darkness. And Jesus came in and started talking, and it says, on them a great light has dawned. And that's the, nature, that's the state of the world we're living in right now. And the guru from India and those from the East and the New Age religion, which has worked its way into suburban motherhood. Look, just read on Facebook. Look on social media. The New Age ideas and how much it touches mothers, not just in the world, but even in the church, is this idea that everything we need is within here and the, the, the base of it is that the human heart on the inside is, is pure and good and is in a righteous standing. Uh, the, the scriptures say the opposite. But the idea is, if there's something wrong with you, it's an external thing. It was, it was, a, it was a pressure from society. It was trauma from a parent. It was a bad experience as a kid, but it was always something that someone else did. And Thomas Sowell summed it up really well when he said, we seem to be getting closer and closer to a point where nobody is responsible for what they did and everybody is responsible for what someone else did. That speaks to this idea that we have and we hold it very dear that the human heart is good you just just go in there and you'll find your way this is why people say follow your heart listen to your heart and you'll never be led astray and yet the scriptures say there's a way that seems right but its end is what death the truth we need is not inherent only in a general sense. There's, God gave two revelations, a natural revelation found in the world and the conscience and a special revelation found in Scripture. The natural revelation is not enough to bring us to salvation. We have to get the words out into the world. The truth is external to us. So the East says it's within your heart. Now the West says this. The West says it's in your mind. The West says that enlightenment is a thing of human reason it's a thing of sheer rationalism you can just reason your way to it and i'll give you a very very simple proof of this christianity spread like wildfire in the middle ages 500 to 1500 in our history textbooks by what name do we refer to the middle ages the Dark Ages. And then with Newton and John Locke and all of those who brought about the scientific revolution, 
and all of the advances that we have today, by what do we call the period in history that followed the scientific revolution? The Enlightenment. Isn't that interesting? Those people that were dwelling during the time where the Bible was their main thing they were holding on to, they didn't know anything. Those poor, ignorant people. Now we know how to do surgeries. Now we've got engineering. We've got combustible engines. We've got phones that are computers in our pockets. We're the enlightened ones. And yet you look around in the world today with all the things that we know with our minds and all the things reason has brought, us, has brought about. Are we truly an enlightened people? No, that's why there's such a hunger for light. The truth is that, tr that, that the light is external. It is not an internal thing. And this is not just the thing that I love about the Word of God. We're going to move on to the, uh, uh, the third truth. Let me just get this stuff off the screen really quick. The thing that I love about the Word of God is that notice this notice how he describes God's word so uh, here's the word this is the subject of the sentence and he says that it's a it's a lamp and it's a light right now where does he say that the lamp sheds light on what is the lamp namely God's word shedding light well, he says, on my feet. And he says, on my path. These are biblical terms that are just describing the daily functions of being a human being. The word of God, sometimes, we, theological minimalism is a big issue. And what it is, is when we render the Bible down to a few spiritual truths that exist out there in kind of a, this mystical space, Nobody can get their hands on them. This, notice what the scripture writer didn't say. He could have said, your word is a way-pointing star, which if I squint just right on a cloudless night and get away from the city light pollution, I can kind of see a general direction you'd have me to go. Is that what he said? He said, it's a light all the way down to the dirt beneath my feet. The words of God don't just exist in outer space. God is concerned with practical, earthy truths. He talks down to the level of the dirt. He says, it's shining light on my feet. The direction I'm walking and whether I'm picking this foot up or this foot up or stepping over something, it is informing me about those things. And I would say the reason why is because God knows we came from the dirt. We didn't come from heaven. We need help. We need practical guidance. We need structure. We need something that says, here's what you ought to do. Here's what you ought not to do all the way down to the mundane all the way down to the day in and day out. Next week, we're going to start a series on practical Christianity. How to just live it out. What do, you just, what do you do on a daily basis? How do you actually practically crucify the sin that seems that it never leaves? There's a way to do it. How do you rid your mind of anxiety? 
How do you develop a positive outlook on the world? How do you spend your money? What should you do with your finances? How do you strike a business deal? What kind of food should you eat? What does God want us to wear? God goes down to the level of the ground. Let me just give you a couple quick examples. So that you, because these are not my words, these are words from the book. In the book of Proverbs 24, verse 13, a dad says to his son, my son, and this is, this is it, it's just, the Proverbs are pithy little statements that sometimes they're connected, sometimes it's just, that's the statement, and that's the way, the way it is with this. He says, my son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Why does it say that? That is in the Bible. Think of all the things God could have said. God goes down, honey is good for you. The Bible said, when I go around, anywhere I go in the world, I try to grab some local honey. When I was in Malawi recently, I got several containers of their Malawi honey. Totally organic, awesome honey. And the Bible says, we are now finding and discovering tons of health properties that are found in honey. The Bible says this. The Bible also says this. The next chapter, it says, My son, if you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. What's it saying? That's practical. That's practical. It's telling me how not to get a stomach ache. If you find something good, don't overconsume it. Recently, we had, over Christmas break, we, we were uh, back in Oklahoma with my family, and we had one of those gatherings where everybody was together, and the kids were just kind of running wild, and there was a candy table that was at child height. And Zion, he's, he's, he was in first session, he's not in here now, so I can say this, he truly believes that he has a sweet tooth. It's not just a saying he says I have one he's pointed it to me and um, he said dad do you have a sweet tooth and which one is it and uh, so you can imagine with full range what he did with the opportunity uh, well we didn't really know exactly what he'd done until about one in the morning when there was a cleanup on aisle nine <laughs> and we were at my sister's house unfortunately and they had to get up in the middle of the night with us to vacuum up the carpet and I asked him son how much candy did you eat and he simply said a ton <laughs> so apparently I need to be reading these proverbs to them <laughs> but do you see how practical that is eat some honey it's good God's saying I made it I put things into the pollen there are enzymes in it that are good for your gut good for your allergies good for your body God says that down to the practical level and then he says but don't eat too much or you will get sick God has a word to say even about the things that we wear and no not in the western conception that we have of you ought to wear this to church or you ought to wear that but it does say something here's what it says Deuteronomy 22.5. Now, just think about this. God is telling the human creation something about the clothes they should wear. Is that an ethereal, mystical, far-off far truth? This is ground level. He says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, 
nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Men dress like men, women dress like women. God says it. He also says this. Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And it says a whole lot more than that. There, there's, the Bible says something about what we should wear. It says something about what we should eat. It it's, has a whole lot to say about the words you should use with your mouth. When I was a young man, I scoured the Proverbs to see the things that it said about the kind of woman that I should seek to find. There's a whole book that's a father talking to his boy saying, son, here's the kind of woman you need to look for. And here's the kind of man that you need to be if when you find her, you want her to even pay any attention. That's practical. I want to know that. I, I'll say this, my generation and the generation beneath me is hungry and longing for just basic, tell me what to do. What should I look for? What should I be? How do I be a good man? How do I work hard? How do I develop a work ethic? The words say something about it because he doesn't say it's a way-pointing star. He says it's a lamp to my feet. And that is awesome. Now, lastly, here's my question, and this will be my, my final point. Where is this path? You know, he talks of his path here this is his path that he's on but it's not his path in the way that we in the west would say you know i'm on my path you're on your path we just do what we do he's on the he's on a very specific path that he was not always on at one point in his life if you read through this psalm he speaks of his former ways he speaks of the ways that he used to be on and how he had to get in trouble from almighty god because of it and he was redirected and now he's on the path, and it's a very specific path. And the question is, where is this path going to go? Well, here's what he says. He says, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. What's he put? To, to put hope, that's a great confidence and trust. And he's saying, the thing that my heart desires is salvation, and therefore the thing I will trust in and lean on and grip to with all of my might is your word because where's it going to bring us it's going to bring us to salvation it will be a great day i cannot wait for that day i want it more than i want anything else in all of the world i have goals and i have ambitions and there are desires of my heart and none of them outweigh my desire to stand before the living god and hear him say well done enter into your reward it will be a great day gripping to this book will bring me there he says my eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise god has promised salvation so let this book be your light he says salvation notice this is far from the wicked they will not inherit salvation there will be hell for those who do not abide by the words of this book, there will be hell for eternity. Why? He says, they do not seek your statutes. 
They don't care about God. So get the words out there. Now, sometimes we think that the, that the, the Christian walk, it's, it's sometimes we, we frame it like, man, it's going to be a real dismal walk in the meantime. When you finally get where you're going, it's going to be well worth it. In the meantime, it's going to be pretty boring. It's going to be bleak. You're going to lose all. Look, that's not what I see in the Bible. And any person I've ever known who was truly walking the walk, not just talking it, but walking it and living it, these are the most joyous people that I've ever met. They sleep well. They're not conflicted in mind. They are happy, and they are blessed. And he says, in the way of your testimonies, that's the word for road. On the path, on the road, on the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. If I could have it all, your word is richer Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I delight in what? This points back to the path. He's saying it's an enjoyable path. It's a good path. It's not just going to be good. It is good even now. He says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. He says, through your precepts I get understanding. I get understanding. I know the world. I know how it works. Therefore, I hate every false way. The unfolding of your words gives light, and it imparts understanding to the simple. So let me finish by giving you three brief applications, and then we'll, we'll be finished. Number one, uh, when you're at a crossroads, and I know that's, that's, that's going to be all of us at various points, but I think the times where there seemed like I was always meeting crossroads was particularly in those formative years, late high school, early college, figuring out my career, all this kind of stuff. And there, there are crossroads along the way, but when you're at a crossroads, if we're going to be true to the Psalm 119, 105, go look here for the answers. It will give you much. Where do you seek your counsel? Do you type it into Google? Do you go to a friend who may not even be a Christian? Do you go to a secular advisor, a godless counselor, and ask him, what would you have me to do? What should I do? Why would we not turn to the book that is light for my feet? When you come to those crossroads, crossroads turn to the book. Number two, when all of the world is going that way, there's so much clout that we put on the masses. You know, everybody, that's where the crowd is, and we... we when all the world's going that way, go this way. We know where they're headed. And if we get this book and hold on tight and shout out, say, don't go that way, come this way, maybe we'll save some of them from their demise. And number three, when the scripture says, because he says it's a light to my feet, when this book says, that's a snare, that's a snare. That's a trap. Don't do it. Don't go. You, you know, you're a young man and you're sitting on, there on your computer and a pop-up comes up and Satan wants to say, click that thing. See where it goes. The Bible says that's a snare. Don't even go near her door. There's heartache and there's pain and there's grief that follows. We can't look at the snare and say that's a shiny snare. 
man, that, that smells good. It looks good. It tantalizes. It appeases. If the word says it's a trap, trust it and move on. Say, God, there's going to be something better on the other side than the thing the enemy's telling me that I can have here. Trust what the word says about bad company, the deceptions of riches, marital roles, child rearing. Raise them up in the nourishment and instruction of the Lord. How to honor mother and father and all these things that we will get to in the coming weeks. Trust it. It's a trustworthy book. Tonight we're looking at Psalm 93 and how trustworthy it is. And if you come back, you'll be able to participate in that with us. But if you have a need, if you need to come to Christ, if you need to give him your life, if you want to commit to him, he is, he is awesome. Jesus Christ is life and light, and he is full of grace. There's no mountain of sin that the grace of God can't reach higher. You need him, and he wants you. If you have any need at all, the door's wide open, and you can let it be known while we stand and sing this song.